This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by Audible. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Jouar, and today is Wednesday, December 30th, 2020. It's the last show of the year, and by the time you hear this, it'll be 2021, so Happy New Year, everyone. My guest is the awesome Phil Byrne. Hi, Phil. How are you? Hey, Miriam. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So in case you didn't know, Phil used to work at Samsung handling PR, the reviews specifically. So obviously, I'm really excited to have him on the show because for years and years, we, we worked together when I was at Engadget and stuff. It was good times. So Phil, I haven't really talked to you about the state of phones since uh, then. And you now have choices because, you know, I guess <laughs> when you worked at Samsung, you probably didn't. But I want to know... At some point during the show, we're going to talk about some of the, your thoughts on the industry in the last few years. Starting now, though, I think I want to get into the, the news. There's a very little news this week, but some of it is interesting. The first Snapdragon 888 phone was officially announced in China, at least. It's the Xiaomi Mi 11. And, uh, well, it's pretty much what you'd expect. Xiaomi seems to always be first out the door with uh, the new Qualcomm chips. So not too surprising. Of course, China only at this point. This phone will eventually make it to the West, uh, the the Mi uh, numbered series. So Mi 10 previously, Mi 9 before that, Mi 11 now. is always been kind of like the, the flagship series uh, at the beginning of the year for Xiaomi. So we expect that to come to not North America, but the rest of the world at some point, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. What was your take on this, generally this phone? Have you looked at the specs? Are you excited about the Snapdragon 888? What stands out for you? You know, what stands out for me are, I, I love fast charging. Mm -hmm. um, I love 120 hertz refresh rates on phones. I think yeah. those fast screens are really great. You know, I think in terms of the Snapdragon, I mean, phones are probably a little overpowered as it is. It's always nice to have more horsepower under the hood, but everything else that you get with that full chipset really makes it more compelling. I think most people are going to enjoy things like fast charging, things like the, the super crisp screen, that kind of stuff, a little bit more than just the raw horsepower. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this, is, this has been a theme this past year, right? I think I'm glad you're bringing this up because... I said on last show, and I, I said it on uh, Twit yesterday on All About Android, in case you guys missed it, uh, I was on the show yesterday with uh, Jason and Mateo, so check it out, twit.tv. Basically, you know, Snapdragon 765G, the, the mid-tier, upper mid-tier chip, I think is, the, is my chip of the year in, in mobile, because I feel like it's all you need, right? It, it really delivers enough oomph in every category, even with gaming, to be viable for anyone. And it makes phones possible that cost like 500 bucks, right? So I think I feel you about the 888. I think nobody's going to need that. But at the same time, you know, flagships are going to continue being made. This thing looks like it's got a pretty decent sized battery with a more you know, allegedly a more efficient chip. Uh, that's a big deal. The fast charging, as you said, is always cool. 50 watt is you know, kind of pretty normal now in, in flagship land. We're at 65 watt on average. We've seen some phones with 100 watt charging. Sure, so, sure. So, I mean, it's at this point, honestly, I always say that beyond 30 watt, I mean, 30 watt charges you in an hour, right? 65 right. charges you in 35 minutes. So the problem is like my Tesla, right? Like you cannot charge at that full speed the whole time. You, you have to start slow and ramp up. And at, when you're mid-charge, you're at maximum power. 
That's the 50 watt. And then you go back down towards the end. So that's why you, you know, if you do the math, it doesn't seem to make sense because it seems to take longer than what the wattage indicates. But it's because you, you're going to break the batteries, right? So, right, right. And, and I think long-term, it's not a viable solution either because this is good for like an emergency. You really need to charge quickly right now because you're leaving or whatever and you won't be near power for some reason. But I think most of the time, you're better off charging slowly. In fact, the new phones like this one, probably, because I know OnePlus does this, have what they call intelligent fast charge, where it kind of learns with AI from your usage patterns. And if it notices you charge every day at the same time, like at night or whatever, it ramped down the power to like 10 watt and charges over a few hours slowly. You can turn it off, but it means your battery health is going to stay up. And some phones now also don't charge all the way to the top. They'll charge like 95 by default or something so that the battery doesn't get stressed, which I think is, you know, something that you see in electric cars all the time, like that's standard practice. But I want to see that more on phones because, yeah, you're not going to keep, like the audience here is not going to keep their phone for more than a year. But what about (laughs) the person who buys your phone used, right? Right, right. Yeah, I think maybe because I worked for a phone company, I got into a more interesting usage pattern with phones where I just got into the habit of topping myself off throughout the day. I wasn't the type to really burn out my phone all the way down to zero and then have to recharge quickly. So I think for that sort of thing, just having the fast charging where it can do the fits and spurts as it needs to, you're just going to feel like you have a fully topped off phone throughout most of the day, even with this reasonable length. And also, I'll admit I've been living in iPhone world, so 50 watt charging still seems impressive to me. No, for sure. I think that's the thing with iPhone, right? It's like Apple will eventually have it, but right now they're not there yet. And so you're looking at, you know, on the other side of the fence, as it were, and you're like, whoa. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we've had that for a while now. I mean, 30 watts being, you, you can find 30 watt charging on $200 Android phones now. Sure, sure. So, and I love the two battery solutions too. Those are really fascinating power charging solutions. Oh yeah, that's where, like 50 watt and 65 watt and 100 watt, all these require multiple cell, uh, para- right, parallel right. cell charging, yeah. Uh, but look, this thing should be pretty efficient 46 like typically what i've found is really interesting i think since your days uh, at samsung things have changed a bit there that most good phones like decently specced phones regardless of the price are easily two-day phones nowadays which is i yeah, think really yeah. cool unless you're like a heavy power user and then you go nuts and it's it's like a day and a half but the, the reality is that brings me back to what you said which i think is super valid and it's how i charge all my devices i don't charge my devices overnight anymore I charge my devices as needed. So I look at the charge level and I look at the rest of my day. I'm like, oh, I should plug in right now. I'll put it on the wireless charger, right? Because I have a bunch of wireless chargers and some of them are high-speed wireless chargers. So this thing has 50-watt wireless charging as well. So I think it's interesting that people probably will start breaking that habit, I think, of charging overnight. That was something that was necessary when you had, a, at best, a one-day battery life, right? Sure. Yeah. And so this thing, you know, as you mentioned, 120 hertz OLED, pretty par for the course for uh, for a flagship. In fact, we're seeing some flagships with 144 hertz now. That's really mostly for gaming. I think uh, the diminishing returns started about 90 hertz. But some people, like, I certainly know 60 to 90, and I do notice a little bit 90 to 120 now that I've used a lot of phones with it. I think when iPhone users finally get 120, which they will since the iPad Pro has it, I think is they're going to be very happy because it really does make a difference. Oh, yeah. I think it's going to be one of the next big leaps uh, for the experience of your average phone user. When those those 
features kind of trickle down, I think people are going to see, uh, you know, it's like when OLED started to trickle down, people really felt like they had taken a leap in their experience with this, uh, with their smartphone. Yeah, I'm a little bummed that uh, Apple wasn't able to put that in the the, the 12 series. I mean, they yeah, packed yeah. so much stuff in there. Like, especially They're always the, cautious for no good reason, you know? Well, I, I don't necessarily think they... I mean, if you look at their rollout of 5G on these, it's not cautious. Like, they... They went for it, like especially yeah. in the U.S. Millimeter wave on the mini, like holy yeah, crap! Yeah, that's all China. I mean, you have to have five G on your phone to sell it in China at this point. So I think they were smart in that respect. But you're right. I mean, they left off some. They they left some uh, some money on the table, as it were. Yeah. Well, I guess you know they had to make they had to make some compromise to keep that battery life going. I think five G yep. was obviously most important at this time for them, right? Marketing wise, especially with Verizon being yep. uh you know one of the kind of like announcement <laughs> during the event i think yeah. they and in, in verizon being millimeter wave in the u.s because the the foreign iphone 12 does not have millimeter wave only right. the u.s variant has but the right. u.s variant still gets great battery life no matter what so i think if they had had it 120 hertz the battery would have taken a hit and the price would have gone up and i think they could have done it there's no doubt but i think that they decided hey let's wait let's do it one more year right Yep. Eh, for better or for worse. Um, yep. Anyway, the industrial design on the Xiaomi is interesting. The camera bump doesn't look quite as generically like the rest of them, which I think I'm pretty happy with. It's nice to see a little difference because the camera pause, the, the black rectangle on the top left corner that Samsung introduced to the <laughs> S20 that yeah. everyone is copying now, even OnePlus for God's sake, right. is uh, kind of rubbing me the wrong way. I, I want some uniqueness there. Yeah, it's very utilitarian. Yeah. And then cameras, 108 megapixel main sensor. This is looks like it is possibly an evolution of the Samsung 108 uh, sensor we saw on various Galaxy phones flagships this year, like the Ultras. And it was on the Mi 10 last year, so that's no surprise. Um, but again, I think it's probably an updated sensor. I'm, I'm on board with these large megapixel sensors simply because of pixel binning and how it improves the light performance. Nobody ever shoots at 108 megapixels, but it's nice to have that many pixels for the computational photography to do its thing. And I really want to see Google do that on the future pixels and Apple potentially do that. Like I'm also totally on board for the converse of that, which is large pixels in lar in smaller quantities, like what Sony's doing on the Xperia 5 series and what Apple's doing on the iPhone 12 and uh, what Huawei's done on some of their phones, basically like 2 micron, 2.4 micron pixels on 12 megapixels does the same thing. But you have less room wiggle room for things like zooming and, you know, uh, basically computational stuff when you have less data to play with, right? So Yep. Yep, I am. I totally agree with you. I think these are the the two very interesting ways to kind of tackle the problem. And I think, you know, one of the things that we've seen is that you really have to do it well if you're going to throw a hundred eight megapixel yep. sensor onto your phone. You can't just say, "Oh, we're just taking these massive photos. Look what you can create." You really have to have the computational processes in there. I mean, you know, Nokia had it way back in the day, and they really showed you that you can't you can't generate these massive images. You have to use it to create a more reasonable image and and just use your buckets efficiently. Um, but I think. It, when it's done right, I think it's a really smart and interesting way to handle both zoom and, you know, really high fidelity. I, I'm still a fan of the large pixel size. I'm still a fan of the large micron pixels. Me too. If, um, you know, yeah. given the choice, it's simpler. Yep. Right? Yep. And you just, you get more light, you get more color, you just, you get a, a better image possibly. But I mean, Google has really proved that computational photography 
has has surpassed normal photography at 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 a at a certain level. I think at a certain consumer level, computational photography is producing better images than what you can afford in uh, consumer hardware. For sure. And so you know, I mean, this phone is basically. I'm actually pretty happy to see that this phone has only three lenses in the back. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> you know, uh, this proliferation, we're going to talk about this a little more in the, uh, at some point in the show, but I really don't like how we've losing, we're losing telephotos at the mid-range, which used to be prevalent, even though they were kind of mad. I mean, they were still usable, whereas those, you know, what I call sticker cameras, those two megapixel, five megapixel macro and depth sensors that you can't directly access or have really crappy performance because the two megapixel on low light is there's tiny sensors, there's crappy lenses, no autofocus, no nothing. You know, more lenses doesn't mean a better phone. And I like that this phone has a commanding camera bump in the back that means business. So it looks like you get the part. But at the same time, if you look closely, like I'm zooming in here and I'm like, yeah, there's 108 main, a 13 ultra wide. And I think it's an eight megapixel a telephoto. Actually, it's only a five megapixel telephoto. So that's mm. interesting. But, you know, like, why not? Right. Like, I would rather have this setup than like four or five lenses in the back, two or three of them being like completely like decorative, basically, you know? The phone's got a lot of style to it, and you know clearly they they want to stick with that style. They're not looking for the utilitarian uh, kind of look that that Samsung has allowed themselves to accept. I love the front. I love the curve on the front, the uh, both the curved screens and the curved edges, and it's got a really nice look to it. So I think they're they're right to keep that sort of squircle design and only fit what fits naturally into that. Yeah, and the price in China, of course, is not indicative of the price in the rest of the world. Usually, they they highly subsidize their phones, especially Xiaomi through services. But six hundred eleven US dollars for a Snapdragon eight 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 phone with these specs is really nice. That means that it's possible to make like a Western market version of this for seven fifty or so, which I think is good because you know the eight sixty five this past year because it needed the external 5G modem, which is a separate chip, made it for a very expensive proposition. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's easier for us to be, you know, roll our eyes and do the uh, and do the doom and gloom and say, oh, it's going to keep going up in prices for flagships. But I think the manufacturers might have learned that 2020, that flagships are maybe not where it's at anymore. And so, of course, they're going to continue making flagships. There's no doubt we need to drive the innovation forward. But, but maybe make those flagships under a thousand you know like start at 750 go up to a thousand and beyond if you want you ultra premium is still a thing like i personally think and i've been saying this for two shows now because of the show i did with all about android yesterday that my one of my favorite phones of 2020 was the, the galaxy note 20 ultra and and you know me you know me from the past i'm not a samsung fan like i don't really <laughs> like their phones that much usually but this year i couldn't put down that phone there's so many good samsung phones this year and so I feel like $1,200 for that phone was justified. Like, like, like there is nothing, I cannot say that it was too pricey, which is really rare, right? Like I felt honestly mm. that the S20 Ultra was too, too pricey um, for just $100 more. But the Note 20 brings more bang for the buck, in my opinion, for less money. So, you know. So out of curiosity, how many Porsches have you owned? One and it was a used. <laughs> it was a used one. Um, yeah. You know the thing a lot of people don't understand is is like you can buy nice cars cheap. Like sure, it's not sure. that expensive. It's just the maintenance and you you know you have to be a bit like 
the people listening to this show are enthusiasts. They buy high-end phones because they're enthusiasts. And that's my point. I think that I'm wondering if the phone market needs that separation. Like I think up until now, we've sort of had this built-in assumption that every super phone should be affordable for the masses, that the best phone you, sh- you can buy is something that everyone is going to be able to buy. But that's not really true in the car world. That's not really no. true in a lot of the technology world. And so maybe... Maybe it's great and good for the market that these super technology, super high-end devices with a lot of technology that most people don't need have started to kind of pull away from the pack. Yes, they're much more expensive, but maybe it's also the responsibility of reviewers and media to say, these are now super phones. These are phones that not, not everyone needs to buy. If you're a real super enthusiast, go out and drive this around the tight curves. Most people are going to get this Toyota Camry phone right here, but everyone else, if if you really want the cool, amazing stuff, here's your options. Yeah. We we haven't seen that so far. It's it's starting. I think Samsung's leading there. I think the, because at the same time as you have the Note 20 ultra, and of course the the Z Fold 2 above that, which are both in respectively in their price category, absolutely some of my favorites then there is another favorite of mine for the year which is the galaxy s20 fan edition yep. which is a yep. 700 phone that doesn't honestly sacrifice that much over the note 20 ultra unless you're an s pen user everyone loves that one yeah and you know again it's like you know how i think you using car analogies nissan did this for a long time yep. their vq series engine the v6 they have you know is in everything right yep. from like you know, the, the the GTR all the way down to like, you know, V6 crossovers and uh, sedans, right? So this is exactly the same thing. Snapdragon 865 on the S20 fan edition for $700 is yep. the same 865 you have in the Note 20 Ultra. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so that's kind of why when I think of flagship, to me, it's a range, right? It starts at like affordable flagship which is in the 750 dollar price point and it goes to regular flagship which is a thousand nine hundred eight hundred nine hundred and then there it goes to what i call the premium flagship which is 1200 1300 more than that and then the folding phones like the the fold have their own like you know currently their own price point but i think that you know that's not an it's not inconceivable to see a phone that's a premium or what you call the super flagship at $1,500. Yeah, you're right. Why not? Like, if it can be justified. I think the Note 20 Ultra is the first phone at that price that I feel really justifies its price. Like, it just packs so much stuff so well done, you know, so well sorted that, you know, you, and you didn't get that with the S20 Ultra. The S20 Ultra was not a sorted phone. And it was ugly as sin, too. <laughs> so... You, know, you like the square. And it's funny too. Well, it's not just I like the square. I think it's the paint job, the fit and yeah. finish, the matte glass. Like there's so much stuff. The camera pod, the shape of it, the look of it. I think that it's funny to me that Samsung with the S20 last year, like basically got copied by everyone else for like the camera pod and the overall generic look of what an Android phone should be. Yet halfway through the year, they came out with the Note series and you know, conversely, then the uh, the the Fold Two, and and then of course now we have the the Fan Edition, and those phone adhere to a different design language. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And and yep. that I think is a much more hi. I'm Samsung. You know, welcome to my design language. Design language. Whereas I felt that the S20 design was kind of like a blob of a generic phone. It didn't feel like Samsung had put a lot of effort into the design language of the S20. So I'm glad they rectified that. And all the leaks of the S21, we're going to get that in a second, 
are really showing some really, I think, interesting industrial design that is unique and different. And I think that's what I like to see in this Xiaomi is that, look, it, you know, in the front, it's kind of hard to differentiate, but you look in the back and you're like, wow, this is a camera pod I've never seen before. It's really unique. Kudos, right? Yep. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about Galaxy S21. Um, I would love to hear your feelings on this. I mean, obviously, we've covered the leaks on and off. I'm not a huge fan of covering leaks until it looks very clear that what we got is what is coming, like yep. in the leaks. This is uh, not a leak. This is the fact that Samsung has opened its pre-order reservations. It's kind of funny to me, right? Like, mm-hmm. pre-orders were a big thing for a long time. Now there's reservations for a pre-order. It's right. like meta, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it really, it, if it seems thirsty, it's because it is. You know, it's because they, they're really trying to get ahead of something here. And so you kind of have to fill in the blanks on what is making them really rush, make them jump the gun, get it out so early in the year. I mean, Samsung, nobody really cared about phones around CES time. And it wasn't because it's CES, it's because January is a slow time for phones. So for sure, to put out pre orders in for mid January, I'm. I'm curious about how the Note was doing. I'm curious about how the Galaxy S20 was doing kind of long tail and what that tells us about, you know, what what Samsung's launch of the S21 is telling us about how those phones were performing. Well, I think that's a good point. And I think that's COVID for you. Like, I think COVID has shown that the mid-range, the $500 phone, at least in our U.S. Western markets, like Europe, U.S., Canada, you know, Japan and other places where people are a little wealthy on average, I think is the sweet spot. People, you know, even though they can get a lot of subsidies in the US, right? Obviously. Yep. And in subsidies are different now. It's just a lease yeah. or whatever, a loan or whatever you call it. Right. But the point is it's still a subsidy. Like, you know, you can buy a Note 20 Ultra right now probably for a decent subsidy because the price, you you know, you're, you're no longer buying it. Six, it's been six months or five months or whatever, right? So you can probably get a good deal. But... A lot of more people are getting smarter and going like, I'd rather spend $500 every year on a phone than 2000 every, you know, hidden in my payments over a two-year period. Yep. And then with COVID, you know, they might have dropped their phones, not have any insurance, and the carrier wants to sell them another really expensive phone. They're like, I can't do that. So they're looking at other phones, like that fan edition we were just talking about, which is probably one of their best sellers this year. But I don't get a feeling that the S20 was a good seller. It just happened at the worst time of the year, just before COVID hit. You know, it's got to hurt. Like I went to the event in San Francisco last year. It's the last event I went to before COVID lockdown happened here in San Francisco. And I feel bad for them because like they went on sale right when everybody was locking down. Remember that? Yep. Yep. Totally. And then I think they kind of corrected the course of the Note 20 series a little bit. But at the same time, it's like, you know, they had them on the roadmap. They couldn't get rid of them, but it was completely tone deaf, I think, right? Like they were so expensive and fancy. Even the plastic backed Note 20 non-Ultra was, when you look at the S20 fan edition in comparison, you you would never buy the Note unless you need the S Pen. You would buy, you know, why spend $999 on a phone with a plastic back that has a 60 hertz 1080p panel (laughs) when you can get a 120 or whatever hertz fan edition for 700 dollars. sure you miss the s pen but that's the other thing right the other rumor is that it's pretty much a confirmed rumor because i look the like the fcc has confirmed it for us yep. that the s pen support is coming to the s21 at least some models and i'm not sure it looks definitely the ultra and it's not clear if there's a silo for it or not so this is this is one of the things that i'm not clear about do you have any insight on this? Not yeah. because you were at Samsung, but in generally from your research on this. I mean, I, I've been calling for them to kind of drop the note line for months now. Um, 
I think that it just kind of ran its course. I think that having the folding phones really does what they wanted to do with the Note phone anyway. It kind of creates that aspirational new technology. Uh, You know, I think definitely it makes sense. I mean, the S Pen has been available on plenty of other devices besides Notes. It's been on tablets. It's been on Chromebooks. It's been on, you know, Windows notebooks. Um, So they've had some sort of stylus or even S Pen branded pen. Um, It's funny that you say that it won't have a silo. I think that would be super disappointing because... Well, I don't know. That's the thing I'm trying to oh, ask. Yeah, no, I know. I, I haven't seen any design with a silo. I agree with you. Um, I, You know, when I think of Note, most people think of the pen. I think of the silo. I think that was right. one of the coolest innovations was it just had a great place for this really long, you know, nice... It, it, it just worked out nicely. And the fact that they could waterproof it too was just such an incredible step forward. Um, so to lose that would be a big loss. I don't really like magnetic stick-on, you know, kind yeah. of stylus arrangements, that kind of thing. But I'm wondering if what we're going to see is the Note series. So for a while, I agree with you, the Note is kind of, you know, it's kind of redundant in a way, right? And so having the S Pen on the S series makes sense. But then, you know, there's a TikTok cycle with Samsung and I'm not seeing that going away. Like I feel like the Note to me, I never used the S Pen. To me, the Note was the second flagship of the year and sometimes it was the better phone. And and so I'm hoping they, like for a while, it looked like they were going to completely get rid of the Note. Then then they said, no, we're still going to do the Note. So they're still apparently going to do the Note. So I'm thinking what might happen here, this is my gut telling me, I'm not sure, but is that the S series is going to have the S Pen support. Like LG phone, every LG phone that's 500 or more has Wacom digitizer pen support built in. Right. It doesn't come with a pen. You have to buy one. They're really cheap. They're pretty run of the mill because they're used by all the Windows, almost all the Windows um, laptop manufacturers that have pen support. So that's nice. But I'm thinking what's going to happen, the S series will support the pen on some models and you'll be able to buy the pen separately. And better yet, they might sell a pen that looks more like a pen. Yeah. That's, you can't stow it. It doesn't have a stylus thing, but it's like you put it in your pocket, like a normal pencil or you know, ball pen with a little clip on it so you can clip it to your pocket or whatever. It might come like that or like what Apple's doing with the pencil and give you actually better control when you use it on the phone. And then the the Note might still come with a stowable mini S Pen like it's done forever. And that maybe that's what we'll see. I don't know. You know, uh, these phones, the design cycle starts about 18 months or more before the phone actually goes on sale. So, you know, while it does make sense for them to cancel the note this year, that decision really would have had to have been made, you know, well before the pandemic started. And, and, you know, just to have these phones on the list, it's very hard for them to cancel a phone once the whole ball has been rolling. Oh, yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see some variation of the note. I think what we saw with that cheap plastic back note was filling some sort of empty box on a spreadsheet where they said we need something in this range with yeah these they specs. didn't have anything at a thousand dollars that had an s pen but then they they made the mishap of cutting too many features exactly. to make it more profitable for them than the carriers right yep, yep. and then we we caught them on that right we called them on that yeah whereas i think even though a lot of people make the analogy like look at the s20 fan edition and the note 20 they both have plastic backs yet one of them is so much cheaper and has a better screen and but no S Pen. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't understand it. They don't come from the same thinking. Right, right. right. The, the the Note 20 came from the let's maximize our profits thinking, which they overdid. Whereas the S20 Fan Edition came from let's let's out OnePlus OnePlus. Sure. Like, yep. let's play in OnePlus' turf. You know what I'm saying? Right, like, it's right. like, 
it's totally clear to me that they just did it to kind of like say, like, yeah, we can make a $700 phone that doesn't suck. We kind of cut the right corners. We don't, we're not going to remove wireless charging. We're not going to remove IP, but we're going to put a plastic back. And honestly, I think it's a perfectly acceptable compromise when you consider how many people put their phones in a case, you know? Yep. But at $1,000 on a Note product, ugh, plastic back just doesn't sound right. You know what I'm saying? Because we're conditioned. That'd be a really nice plastic back. Exactly. So I think that's kind Maybe of what some fake stitching or something like that. Oh, remember that? I was do. it the Note 4 or I the 3? Th yeah, it might have been the 3 or the 4, but it was one of those had the fake actual stitching. I think it had a removable battery cover on that one too. Yeah, so. it was still had a removable. I'm pretty yep. sure it was the, it was the 3 because the 4 had the same design as the Galaxy Alpha. Remember that beautiful phone? Was it, it was the four that had the same design as the Alpha? I definitely remember the Alpha. That was The lovely. four definitely had a metal frame yep. and I think still had a removal back, but that flush mount like the Alpha. Right, right. And then the three still had the plastic uh, edges and the fake leather stitching. Yeah, I, I mean, I was on the inside at the time. So when we got the Alpha and I already knew what that note looked like, I thought, wow, this is just a leak. This is just, we've just <laughs> leaked our next phone in this tiny, awesome little AT&T design. God, that phone was so cool. It was very cool. It was very good. I'm a big fan of those little phones too. Yeah, well, yeah, there's not enough of those right now. I mean, as obviously Apple did a really good job with the, the iPhone 12 mini. Uh, my, honestly, here's the thing. For those you know listening right now that want a small Android phone that really packs a good punch, the one that I would highly recommend is the... I haven't talked about it much on the show because I just got it like about a month ago and I'm still playing with it and evaluating. It's the Xperia 5 Mark II. Oh, yeah. Sony's always held it down with those little phones. The Xperia 5 Mark II is, is still not a small phone compared to what Sony used to make or compared to the 12 mini. Yep. But because it's 21 by 9 and it's a smaller 21 by 9, it's actually really small and really nice to use. The only problem with all the Xperia phones at the flagship level this year in the US is that they all have 5G, but not for the US. Right. They're selling them officially in the US. They're certified to run on all three networks, but only on 4G. Yeah. They don't have the bands. I could live with that. <laughs> but if you go to Europe, 5G works on that. <laughs> right. So it's, you're paying, but you're paying $1,000 for a phone yeah. that's really nice, that has, checks all the boxes, but doesn't check 5G, which is, yet has it in it. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of hard to swallow. Have you ever been a long time owner of a Sony phone? Have you, have you held one for a while? I haven't personally. I have had review units for six months or so at times. And honestly, there are some really great Sony phones out yeah. there, but they always have like one big miss, right? Yeah. Like, and to me this year, that's it. They have 5G, but you can't use it here yet. They sell it here and yet they charge you the same premium as any other phone that has 5G with the same chipset. Right, right. It's kind of like, oh, I can understand that they can't sell them too cheap because these are really premium, nice phones. Like these are, I would actually argue that the Xperia 1 and Xperia 5 Mark II, both of these are premium flagships like they could easily cost 1200 bucks in terms of their build and the camera performance mm. on those is really incredible so it's just not they're just not very friendly to the average user kind of phones right. you know what i'm saying they they have too many weird little sony things to them the software is pretty clean the cameras are really good but the cameras are not the easiest to use like the interface is more like a real camera than a, oh, interesting. you know, what we expect from an iPhone or a Samsung phone. And that doesn't turn me off, so. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't turn me off. But right. I think for a lot of people, lot of it's people. hard to recommend a phone like that. But if you are an Android user that's looking for, it doesn't care too much about 5G, wants a really nice small phone today with really good imaging performance and are willing to, you know, experiment with a slightly different user experience in terms of camera, or maybe you're familiar with Sony's camera systems, 
the the five mark two is freaking it's i would say one of my top 10 phones of 2020 Hmm. not top five but it's definitely close to the top five gotta get my hands on it it's that good you know what gives me pause a little bit about sony is that i saw a pattern with them with the u.s carriers where they would announce a phone and then there would be long delays or the phone would be canceled or it would kind of show up on their lineup and then kind of disappear for a while and to me, that says reliability issues, and it says customer service calls. And and if it's complicated, if that's the only issue, is that they're just making phones that aren't very easy for novices, I understand that. That's going to be a lot of customer service calls. But that's one of the main reasons a carrier... Well, they do not have carrier agreements anymore. They right. sell them on lock now. Yeah. Now it's B&H. Basically, that's where you can get them. And, exactly. and I think probably Best Buy. And Sony's website. But I, they have given up on carriers a long time ago. Sure, sure. <laughs> well, it, maybe carriers gave up on them. Well, possibly, right? <laughs> and I wouldn't be surprised, you know. Um, speaking of actually phones that came out and just took forever to yeah. get released this year, I just want to squeeze that in there. It's not on the topics, but it's kind of related. Yep. Is the Nokia 8.3 5G, which was announced, was one of the first, I think actually the first Snapdragon 765G announcement yep. early March in the world at least in the West, because I know the Chinese had a few already. And it did not ship in the US, at least. And in Europe till the summer, in the US till, I want to say September, the unlocked version. And then in the fall, like in, I think we got it late October on Verizon with Millimeter Wave, a special variant with Millimeter Wave. And I just reviewed it. Like I've actually reviewed this a month ago, but my review didn't get published until yesterday or the day before. It's on hothardware.com where I do a lot of my phone reviews. So I know there's a lot of Nokia fans on the show. If you've been considering buying a Nokia phone from HMD Global and you're looking at something higher end and you're wondering what they have in store, for, especially in North America, check out my review because here's the, here's the short version. It's a very big disappointment. You don't want to buy this phone. Oh. Yeah, it's a bummer. <laughs> like this was a hard review to write when you're like, you want to give it a three out of, you know, two yeah. and a half or a three out of five. It, it's too little too late. Like I think when they announced it, it seemed competitive, but then they, you know, all these really great Snapdragon 765 phones came out, like the Nord, right? Like the the little TCL 10 5G, yep. which costs 400 bucks on Verizon with millimeter wave. You know, it has a Snapdragon 765G in there. Yeah. And it beats the pants out of this $700 phone that is partially made of plastic, doesn't have wireless charging, doesn't have water resistance. It's like at 700 bucks, again, Samsung sells you an 865 equipped S20 fan edition. Google sells you the Pixel 5, which, you know, is like a premium version of the Pixel 4a sure. 5G, basically. And this is before you even get into the used market. I mean, you still have to compete with the used market. And it's exactly before you get into the sales. And so, yeah, you're going to say, oh, I can buy a Nokia 8V 5G UW. That's the name of it. Can yeah. you believe that Verizon yes, forced Nokia to call this the 8V <laughs> for Verizon, 5G UW for ultrawide? What the name that? Is? How can HMD or Nokia agree to that? Like, and then it's riddled with. How can they not? I mean, they don't have power over Verizon. Yeah, they probably don't have power, but it's riddled with crapware too. And so that phone. Yes, yes, you can get on a monthly payment for only a two hundred and forty dollars right now. Like if you if you got it through a sub subsidy through Verizon, it's two hundred and forty bucks. But who does that? Who would buy this phone when you the reviews clearly tell you forget it, it's crap. Yeah. Even at two hundred and forty dollars, I can think of a better phone, honestly. Mm, mm. It's pretty sad. So anyway, S twenty one, the fact that they have 
reservations you can sign up for to get notified when pre-orders are coming is kind of crazy to me. Uh, like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and as you said, to your point, to your point, like clearly something went wrong with the S20 sales. And, and I think the, the numbers from the analysts that I looked at confirmed that. They, they it kind of bombed. But it didn't bomb because it was a bad phone. I think the Ultra was not my favorite, but I think the other, the S20 and S20 Plus, were nice phones. It's just that they came out at the worst possible time. And see, clearly Samsung corrected that with the S20 Fan Edition. Basically, the reality is Samsung needs a flagship price be somewhere in the $700 mark, yeah. which they did with the, uh, the Fan Edition. And they need to do that again with this. Hopefully, one of the S21s is a more accessible price point. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, hopefully that, and then they can drop some of the prices on the older phones as well, and yeah, it creates a yeah. huge ripple like effect Like they did for with them. the S10e, yep. yeah, totally. Yep. They've gotten yeah. a lot smarter about that sort of thing. And I think, you know, I still want them to make like an Ultra. Like, I think well, I want that. As you said, like, you know, the Halo product, right? Let's let's do that. But I think the S20 should be a much wider range for the US, and it can still have most of the features. They've shown us that they can do that. And so I'm hoping that this is the truth. And that because of that, like, it seems to me like it's almost like the Osborne effect here, right? Like, they're... They're announcing reservations for pre-orders before the new year right. for a phone that we know is coming out sometime in January, but like they're really eager to sell this thing, <laughs> to pre-sell this thing. It's crazy. And the best is if you if you ask them officially if there's a phone, they still deny that there's a phone. Well, no, that's the other thing. Oh, thanks for pointing that out because yeah. obviously you did that all the time at your <laughs> job before. But like I reached out to Phil and a few other people you know, back in the day, and you would say, nah, there's nothing to say. And the same thing happened here, you know. I reached out to Samsung PR and I said, hey, you know, I don't need, I don't, I know you can't confirm or deny, but I'm, we're, all of us are seeing lots of <laughs> reports of this, of something happening on January 14th. Can you, can you elaborate? Do you, you know, like I haven't, we haven't seen any invitations, whatever, what's going on? And for me, it's important to do that because, you know, at Engadget, I knew I was going to get included, but as primarily a podcaster that also writes a lot of reviews for, you know, other publications, like I write for, you know, obviously hot hardware, but also for Android Police and stuff, you know, I'm not always the first person they're going to reach out to invite for things. Yep. Like they certainly invited me to their event uh, last year for San Francisco, but the fact that I haven't received anything, you know, kind of made my feelers go up a bit, go like, wait, what's going on? All these rumors, all these leaks, nothing from... So I reached out and I said, hey, what's happening? And they said exactly what you would have said, Phil, like we have nothing to say. <laughs> and that's fair. But here's the thing. I reached out to a whole bunch of other media friends, like people in high places that, you know, would definitely get invited right away. Nobody's got invites. Hmm. And no one's gotten a save the date or anything. We don't know what's going on. If they're launching this on the 14th, there's got to have to be a pre-brief, virtual at least, right? Oh, yeah. Like, I don't expect them to give us devices to even do first impressions beforehand. They might do a weird thing where they might kind of completely bypass us and just give us the materials under embargo for us to announce the thing. And then we, we won't have anything to stand on until we finally get devices to review and then we can finally publish our own content. That's happened before. But this past year, when you look at the Note 20 launch, the Note 20 launch, they did invite a very small group of media to preview the product before they, the launch. And they did it by basically visiting them at their offices with devices, right? Hmm. But I'm not hearing even that happening for anyone right now. 
Like we're all kind of scratching our heads. There's so many reasons that could be happening. You know, it's so hard to read the situation too. Like it, it could be, it could be from the editorial side. Maybe editors are saying, "Hey, we are not interested in meeting with PR people and companies right now. We're not w- willing to risk our lives for your stupid yeah. phone." So, well, that's true too. But at the same time, you'd think they would still have reached out by now if right, there's a 14th right. event saying, "Hey, on January 6th, we're having a you know a virtual meeting on Zoom. We're going to show you everything about the phone." The fact that we haven't heard that yet seems really weird. And so, yeah, so maybe that yeah. 14th is a rumor that's not accurate. Maybe it's later in January or in February. Yeah, totally possible. But at the same time, it's very clear that, as you said, I think it's very clear that Samsung is pushing on an early launch this year to be the first out of the gate in 2020, and at least in the US and Europe, with a new flagship. Yeah, I mean, the one thing you can definitely read is that, you know, most of the time Samsung launches phones in February, it usually coincides sometime around the Mobile World Congress show. And you see, or before, after, yeah. yeah. And so for them to pull a phone out a month early, and not just that, but the Galaxy S series has to be both the top of the line phone in terms of technology all around, maybe not in terms of one single technology. And also it has to be the number one selling phone of the year. You know, in terms of Samsung's goals, they want it to be the most sold phone and also the best. And that's, those are two sort of contradictory goals. And that's why you have such a large Samsung Galaxy S family. But to pull it out so early, it it does kind of show you uh, it, it really shows you that they're willing to shake up their pattern, to kind of shake up what's on the market currently. And, you know, whatever you can infer about how they've been performing, it, it at least shows you that they're looking for some kind of change to happen. And that's a very Samsung thing, too, to really look to change just for change's sake. Yeah, I just still wish you were there because, unfortunately, <laughs> their strategy with PR in the last couple of years has very much been like Apple. You know, uh, we ignore everyone and everything. Yeah, we do yeah. our thing at our own rate and because we're big enough that you're going to have to cover us anyway. So, you know, even people that I know at major publications are very frustrated with the fact that they have no idea what's coming and they can't plan, you know, in the same way as they can't plan with Apple, right? They can't plan with Samsung coverage and rollout of their stuff. And and that's tough for us. You know, like we, obviously Samsung and Apple really matter to us. You know, they make great products. There's no doubt about it. We want to cover them, but at the same time, you got to throw us a bone. Like, you got to be, if it give us at least an idea of what, like what's coming when, even if it's under NDA with a million papers signed, right? Like, right, right. we need to kind of be able to plan this for our news cycle and for the revenue. I mean, I'm a small fry. It's no big deal to me. I can be behind the scenes. I can get a review in it a month after everybody else gets it. I'm fine. But I think that for, you know, the engadgets of the world, it's kind of hard to plan when you don't know what's going on. And I kind of always thought that that's one of the things PR does, right? Like we, it's a symbiotic thing. We, you know, we work with each other, but I think that's changing. And if, and also, you know, they're prioritizing more the YouTube creators and the influencers and stuff, which is fair. That's a lot. You get a lot more bang for your buck that way. And it's less, te- less technical. You're going to get less judged, right? Well, I think so. in terms of, in terms of strategy, I mean, to help out, to help out websites, to be strategic about dealing with Samsung, I would say, um, you know, it, maybe it's time to drop the idea that there's this symbiotic relationship with PR. PR is a definite goal, and that goal is sales. You know, that goal is definitely related to getting out the publicity, selling phones. It's not true that all publicity is good publicity. <laughs> you know, I think that they're they're they have very specific goals, and you know, if if the editorial side doesn't understand that, then the PR side certainly does. And I think 
The other thing to look at is when you see more folks like, I mean, when I started at Samsung, I came from a very small fryish kind of website. I was working at a, a mostly European site called InfoSync World. Uh, I spent a year at PhoneScoop doing really good phone reviews there. Um, but they brought me on to kind of, they really needed someone from the media to both give them an honest in impression of their phones. And then also I, I became someone who could help them relate back to the media and I loved giving folks a chance. I loved giving kind of the small fries a chance. Yeah, you were pretty awesome. I was a high school journalist, a college journalist. I loved reaching out to those people and saying, hey, we're a global multinational corporation. Come to our show at Radio City and bring your mom, high schooler. And, you know, it was it was very cool <laughs> yeah. opportunity. And maybe they don't have that anymore. I don't really know their PR team too well. I know some of their agency folks, but... I think it's good for all companies to have media on the inside at some point to give them that impression of what media need, what they want, how they should be treated, that kind of thing. I think that definitely helps. I think that's gone. I think they're really being very insular like Apple and I think they're doing it on purpose. And I think the media have been very critical, you know, and they always are and they just don't want to deal with that anymore. They just want it's a lot easier for them to take that money and that budget and target influencers and YouTube creators who never really say anything bad. I mean, there's a few who do, right? Marquez, you know, Michael Fisher, Mr. Mobile. There's a few out there that I really trust with their judgment. They don't pull punches. Yep. Um, and we trust them for that. But I think a lot of creators and a lot of influencers are just like parroting whatever PR they get sent. Well, I think you know? we should also understand that a lot of those influencers aren't being managed by PR. A lot of them are now being managed right. by marketing and marketing. digital marketing yeah. Yeah. and influencer. And those folks, again, I mean, PR, a lot of those PR folks are former journalists and they've gone through the same sort of training, whereas marketing has has really does not have the same interests at heart. And yeah. so I think that's why we're seeing a lot of the disparity and marketing is always going to have a lot more money to throw around than a pure PR team. So it may seem like it's all coming from Samsung, but there's so many different interests on the inside that I think that's why you're seeing a lot of these weird new disparities between how folks are being treated. Yeah, no, for sure. I, and I mean, I don't, I mean, I'm not too worried about it. Frankly, I still get what I need. I just don't get it always in the time I want it. You know, and you were pretty awesome there. You were tough love, right? Like you didn't pull punches either, <laughs> like, which was sure. good. You know, I got in trouble for that sometimes. <laughs> sometimes we're a little greedy, you know, as journalists and we want too much and it's fair. Um, and, and I think that's what I appreciated about you a lot when you, when you, when we worked together is that, you know, you, it wasn't always a yes, but at the same time, there was always a good reason for a no. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I tried. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. funny, I had a I was there for an interesting shift at Samsung, a shift from old school to new school PR, where when I got there, the PR budget was used to go to Chicago, take over a bar, and show over show off the phones to everyone who showed up. And then we had we had a new kind of PR director come on board. Um, it was Terry Daly, who's been in a lot of different. Oh yeah, I know Terry. Yeah, of she's course. She's been in a lot of companies, and she really changed it to say, "Let's pour more money into the reviews program, into handing out products, into getting our products out there." And we went from handing out maybe a dozen phones to a few hundred phones. And I think it really made a difference. It, people felt like they were getting more from us. I think it it really helped us. It was less fun for us. There was a lot less parties to go to. Um, yeah. But I think we had a much better PR program because of it. So it was a cool shift. I think it was pretty solid for sure. And I, I'm not sure it's the same. I mean, it's it's again, you're right. PR and marketing are different. I always kind of lump them together. But um, yeah, I mean, look, it is what it is. Uh, let's talk about some OnePlus news real quick. Yeah. Again, rumors... So this is good and bad. 
as everything OnePlus in 2020, OnePlus was very much a what the hell's going on strategy this year. Lots of good things like the OnePlus 8 Pro and the OnePlus Nord. Lots of questionable things like the OnePlus Nord N10 5G and N100. And also the general, like, we don't know what you're doing, OnePlus. Where are you going? Does nothing make sense anymore? And CarPay leaving and all that stuff. But then OnePlus 9 is obviously coming sometime in March, April, May, when it always does. And now we're hearing rumors of a, basically, you know, it's pretty clear there'd be a OnePlus 9, the, the main one. And this might be a OnePlus 9 Pro because it was an 8 Pro last year. So hopefully we'll get a, like, a really, really nice version. My OnePlus 8 Pro is my main phone, my daily driver, because it fits, it ticks all the boxes for me, mm. finally, because I came from Pixel, and Pixel doesn't tick all the boxes for me anymore, but OnePlus didn't used to tick all the boxes. They finally added wireless charging, which for me is an essential, and honestly, right now, if I had to buy a new phone today, I would probably be either getting a OnePlus 8 Pro at a discount, or I would look at that new fan edition from Samsung, the yep. S20 fan edition. is just delightful. But the OnePlus 9 Lite is supposed to be the third entry in the OnePlus 9 series. And and it's interesting because we've never had a OnePlus with a Lite moniker, if it's actually indeed the name. But what's more interesting to me, who cares how they call it? I'm going to link to a story from Fandroid, my friend over, um, my friends over at Fandroid, Nick Gray, editor-in-chief over there. They wrote about this and basically the way they're going to make it light would be by putting last year's Snapdragon chip in it, the 865 instead of an 888. Now, the OnePlus 9, and if there is a 9 Pro, those two would have the 888. But to keep things more affordable for a light version, they're going to go with 865, which I think is really clever. Like, that's a very smart thing to do, oh, yeah. honestly. Because the chip's probably cheaper now a year in, right? Oh, it should be. It yeah. better be. <laughs> I couldn't get much more expensive. That's one bit of news, OnePlus. The other bit of news is that we have some very strong leaks around battery capacity and more importantly, charging specs. And again, we've talked about high-speed charging before. The OnePlus 8T that's currently on the market, 65-watt parallel two-cell charging. All the previous OnePluses had 30-watt charging. And even the cheap OnePluses that I didn't like, the N10 5G, maybe even the N100 have 30-watt charging. My OnePlus 8 Pro has 30-watt charging and fast wireless charging, too. These new 9, the OnePlus 9, have 65-watt dual-cell parallel wired charging, which is to be expected since the 8T had it. Yep. But more importantly, it looks like it has wireless charging Yeah. 30-watt, which Finally. is the same as the 8 Pro. So that means that I might not upgrade my 8 Pro to a 9 Pro, but... I might just have to upgrade it to a 9. The big question mark here for me with OnePlus, and generally BBK Group that runs Oppo, Vivo, and Realme, is that you know they've been the poster child of what I call the sticker cameras, giving us really crappy additional cameras we didn't need. The, the OnePlus 8 was like that. Not the 8 Pro, but the 8. The 8T kind of is like that too. And so if the 9, if there's no 9 Pro, that 9 better have a telephoto somewhere because the 8 and 8T did not have a telephoto and the 8 Pro did have a telephoto, which is part of the reason it checked all my boxes. I want a telephoto. It doesn't have to be great, but I want something I can use to zoom with that is at least 3X, you know? And that's what I'm, we're not, we're not clear on that on the nine right now. We don't know. Now, so. are you using zoom more for framing your shots or for taking photos of things that are far away? 
Uh, sometimes for framing, sometimes for far away. I also use them for product shots. Okay. You get a narrower right. depth of field and that kind of more bokehish feel. And you can pull back a bit more and get more natural light without your shadow or reflection in the way. Yep. And I mean, honestly, you know, I don't expect a OnePlus phone to be like a product photography phone. I use, uh, you know, I use Huawei and the Note 20 Ultra for that right now. If I want to really like a good telephoto, they have the best. They have folded lenses, you know. Sure. Uh, they're great. But I don't expect that on OnePlus 9. But, you know, the 7 series last year, the, at least the 7T and then the 7 Pro had, in 2019, had a telephoto. And then they removed the telephoto from the 8 and 8T. And we got it on the 8 Pro. But that's my concern, the removal of it at that level. Like, I understand on a $500 phone, you might not have a telephoto, but at least it, as soon as you get in the $700 range plus, you should have a telephoto. Like this, again, Samsung S20 Fan Edition does. And the 8 Pro, of course, is a $900 phone, so it does have a telephoto. But I'm a little concerned that, yes, we might gain wireless charging on the regular OnePlus 9, but we might, still might not get our telephoto back. What I'd love to see is a 9 that's a fully featured phone that checks all my boxes, and then a 9 Pro that is a premium, super OnePlus phone. You know right, what I'm saying? Right, And I might, we might not get that this year. Might, might I not even get a 9 Pro? There's no rumors of a 9 Pro yet, so... Is IP rating one of your boxes? Yes. It's less important to me, but it's there, yes. I think it's it's become really vital for me, even though I don't... I, I probably don't really use it all the time, but I think... I remember when phones switched to becoming mostly water resistant, and I remember that it was just the number two reason why people return their broken phones is because they got it wet, they broke it. So it just seemed like making that a natural part, just a, a table stakes for flagship phones was such a, a great thing for the industry because it removed a serious risk from you know the way people damage their devices. So I wish yeah. I wish OnePlus was a lot more consistent with their IP ratings. I mean, the rumor's always been that the phones are probably water resistant. They just didn't want to spring for the testing. Yeah, I mean, that's been the case. It's been proven by people testing it like yeah. independently. Like That's why I'm not too worried about it. Like My 8 Pro certainly has an IP rating. Uh, the 8T, some versions, like the T-Mobile edition of it, which is essentially just you know has this firmware for t-mobile and a single sim tray instead of a dual sim tray they basically like blocked out one of the sim holes so really like it's the same phone and it has an ip rating yep so if the 8t for t-mobile is an ip rating the 8t normal must have right. ip of course you know what i'm saying like there's no even though it's not listed there so i think that it's pretty safe to say that ever since the 7 series i'm pretty confident that Every OnePlus phone at the high end, 7 series, 8 series, and now the 9 series, will be safe if you accidentally drop them in the tub. Um, I wouldn't leave them in there very long. Like, you know, unlike a Samsung or iPhone where I know I could leave it in the tub, like it's, you know, proven. Yep. Um, but I think for me, that's the protection I need. I don't want protection where, you know, I leave it in some deep or even shallow water for right. long. I want the protection of, oh, I accidentally dropped it or uh, spilt a coffee or a drink on it and I can just rinse it on the sink without I have to think twice, right? So it's not sticky. That's all I care about. Yep. Some people want to do photography underwater and stuff. I think that's that's a dangerous game. I'll give you an example. Michael Fisher, Mr. Mobile, a couple of years back or three years ago, whenever it was, at the Qualcomm Summit in Hawaii, we were all in a boat <laughs> and we were just enjoying ourselves. We were doing some uh, snorkeling. And he decided to take his LG, I don't know what it was at the time, one of the better LG phones of the time, the V-series, 
of the time, maybe the V30, you know, yeah. snorkeling with him and it died. Like it, They're not ready for saltwater. Well, it's not just, it's, <laughs> it's partially saltwater, but also, you know, the depth. Like sometimes you're oh, sure. diving in two or three feet down, like not very deep, but yeah. uh, you get more pressure down there. It wasn't right away. Like it worked fine for a good hour, but after an hour in and out of the water <laughs> right, and salt right. water and some depth, it just gave up. Yeah, that's not what your phone's really meant No, but, but my point is, you know, IP68 says it's safe till yes. for an hour at three feet. The problem is that you move the phone, right? Like, so you're actually forcing water into the, right. the cracks, right? It doesn't, that doesn't include water pressure. It's not still. It's like, yeah. it was not still. It was not sitting there at the bottom of the water. It was just actually being moved around. Yep, and so yep. it was a valuable lesson in water. That's actually why you can't take the phone swimming because the uh, yeah, the pressure exactly. created by the strokes and the swim will, uh, is worse than IP is rated for. And that's exactly what I think was happening. This is, it was the strokes. And this was a full-on IP68 mil-spec phone, yeah, right? Like, yeah. So so another thing that happened was, uh, I think it was Narav. Narav's uh, P, I think P20 Pro or P30 Pro Huawei phone, he took it... Uh, whitewater rafting <laughs> okay and and i mean it didn't get really wet like he didn't submerge a phone much but right. it, it it got it got water in the lenses somehow which yeah, is kind of spray like, is very different than just normal ingress yeah because it's like action right like you're yep, moving yep. the phone around in water right? it's high yeah. pressure water yep yep yeah so keep that in mind folks like 68 really you think think of it as a guarantee that if you drop it in the tub you're okay but it's not a, you should be in your bathtub with the phone underwater while surfing the web. Yeah. I mean, you can, but I don't think you should. <laughs> and certainly not salt water. I like reading Twitter from the tub. I find t- the tub is a good place for Twitter specifically. Oh, but, no, I, but leave the phone out of the water. You don't have to right, dunk it right, to do right, it. Like, right. I agree. You know, <laughs> use your wet fingers on it. Yes, it's fine yes. if you can actually still use it with wet fingers. <laughs> but... You know, I don't know. People have just a weird idea, like I think, and that's I think the challenge for manufacturer, right? Like as soon as you say, "My, well, the phone can do this," you know, now you have people saying, "Well, it's supposed to be water resistant." They return it, you know, after it fails, and the indicator is red, and they're like, "Well, it's so IP. Well, how is it possible?" You know, like people don't understand. So, so you're saying. A OnePlus is kind of under-promising and over-delivering. I think so. And that's that's fine by me. Exactly. Thanks for the summary. That was fantastic. (laughs) So that's it for the news, really. I mean, the only last bit of news that I really want to mention, and maybe we can talk about this, it's really strange. The Verge discovered, or somebody tipped The Verge, and they checked with Google, and basically that at some point in the last month or so, uh, Google removed in one of the updates the astrophotography feature from the ultra-wide on the Pixel 4a 5G and the Pixel 5, the only phones they have with an ultra-wide camera. And it was there because people had tested it at launch. You could do astrophotography with the ultra-wide, and now you can't. And it's interesting that that Google had no comment, that just that they pointed the verge to the documentation on astrophotography and said, and that documentation seems to be have been updated at some point to say 1x zoom or more. So you can do astrophotography at 1x or 2x or whatever, mm. but you can't do it at 0.6x, which is the you know the ultra wide. And we're not sure why because it worked fine. It was a little on the greenish tinge side to do astrophotography ultra wide, probably because the color science is slightly optimized for some other things. And well, it's not a huge deal, but for those of you who are Pixel fans out there who like your astrophotography, just be aware. Yeah, it's right. a fascinating removal. I mean, it's... It's weird, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense because the ultra-wide shots, you know, you really can capture the movement of the planet if you're shooting astrophotography pretty easily within a mm-hmm. few seconds of exposure. But, you know, if it was working before, 
I wonder what would make them remove it now. I wonder if it's an overheating issue or if it was just a lack of satisfaction. You know, if maybe it wasn't good enough for them. Yeah, I mean, it was actually yeah. green tinged, and that camera is lo- way less light sensitive. The pixels are way smaller on the yep. the ultra wide than on the uh, the main. The main camera on the pixels it might only be twelve megapixels, but those sense those pixels are oh, one point yeah. four microns, so they're pretty decent. So I don't know. I think it's weird, but it's it's there. It it exists. It's a, it's a fact. It's a truth. <laughs> you know, one of the so, one of the answers to all these questions with phones is customer service calls. I've kind of mentioned it a few times because that just cost them a lot of money. Yeah, just having yeah. people call it cost them a few bucks a call, and so the one thing carriers and manufacturers want to avoid at all costs is having people is call in for service. things. Yeah. So you get enough phone calls, they'll just pull the feature off of the phone. It's easier that way. Yeah, but Google's notoriously bad with customer service, so they don't care about you in the first place. I mean, no offense to them. Like, I love the Pixels. And I don't think you can call them anyway. Yeah. It's true. Like, everybody I've ever heard that had to deal with Pixel support has had a horrible experience. Yeah, but if you're calling <laughs> Verizon, then Verizon is definitely ah, going to let Google good point. know. Yeah, yeah. Ah, uh, Verizon. Uh, yep. They just, uh, they're not the best at customer service either, <laughs> I hate to tell you. Well, Verizon is very protective. Like, uh, this is the thing, like, how do carriers manage to be so bad at customer service? T-Mobile is acceptable, but they're about the only ones right now. It's like, come on. I mean, to their know? credit, they're, they're just such massive enterprises and they're just, they're so spread out. And also, I mean, they hire fairly, you know, fairly low level employees to handle very technical jobs and to answer yeah. some very technical questions. So I think they're doing their best, but we're asking a whole lot of them and it's it's a technology that i mean we're still at the very cusp of network technology around the globe and the, these people are just trying to manage all of our expectations at once so uh, it's it's a tough job i can't say they do it great every time i think we've all been in carrier stores and cringed at the answers that we've seen them give to oh, customers God. and yeah so yeah. but yeah they're they're doing their best <laughs> for sure so, Phil, we should wrap up. Do you want to maybe give us an idea of what... Is there a phone that stood out for you? You're obviously an iPhone user. What's your iPhone of choice right now? Oh, man, I'm still on the iPhone 11 Pro Max. I think that's a perfectly fine phone to have yeah, in 2020. I like the 12 design a little bit better. I'm just sort of deciding whether I want the Mini or I want to stick with the Max. I like the size of the Mini. Um, I know you're. You've been talking a lot about telephotography, but I, I'm mostly a wide guy. I like to. Yeah, get- no, me, me too. Like, if you have to only have two lenses, I need an ultra wide. Yep, please. yep. Like the telephoto is just. I'm just saying. There's a weird. There's a weird tendency for like the ultra wide sticking. Yep. But the telephoto is going away at yeah. a certain price point now, where it was included before, and instead we're getting these cheap two megapixel macros, which are useless. Right. No. Oh, those are the worst. I, don't give oh. me something that resembles a telephoto. No, and piece. I'm a real macro fan. I shoot macro on my real full frame camera. But so, the thing is, that's yeah. the thing. You can't. You can do macro. That's the beauty. You can do macro using an ultra wide lens with yeah. autofocus, which yep. OnePlus does on the eight Pro and the seventy, or you can do what Samsung does, where there's no macro mode, but if you use the telephoto and you pull back, you get a really good micro shot because it's super stabilized. Yep. And so, I mean, I don't think you need a dedicated macro lens on a phone, like on a real camera, of course. But I think you can do pretty decent macro photography if you have either an ultra wide with autofocus or a telephoto. Yeah, yeah. With the sure. YS. Yep. So, but what if phones stood out? Like if you had to jump ship from I uh, from Apple right now as a as an ex Samsung person. Oh yeah, I you know I've been seriously thinking about it. 
Um, you know, I've been very curious about the Pixel phones for a long time. I was I was a Nexus owner forever. I owned every yeah, single Nexus too. phone. Um, I've I've owned a few of the Pixels. I think the last one I had was the four X. Uh, no, not the four XL. Maybe the three XL. Okay, the three XL. But yeah. I, I haven't had anything since then, so I'm very curious about the Pixels, especially the four A. I'm just kind of I want to see what it's like to live with that phone for a while. It's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, the 4A and the 45G are, I would totally have a 45G in my pocket if it had wireless charging and water resistance, which you're going to say, well, the 5. But the 5 is too pricey for what it is. Yep. yep. If I spend that kind of money, $700, $750, I want this S20 FE specs, right? I want yep. an 865 and I want a telephoto. And I'm not getting that with the Pixel 5. I mean, so. I went from being probably the most spoiled person in all of the phone world <laughs> where I literally carried around three of every type. I had every every color of every Samsung phone that I wanted. And Samsung <laughs> would also buy me competitor models because I had to be up to yeah. date on, on what competitors totally. were doing. So I was very, sure. very spoiled. And then when I stepped away from that, I, I really, I just became a very, very normal person and had to really think about my budget. And I, I really, when the pandemic hit, I got very, very sensitive to how everyone is choosing their phones and trying to stick to budgets and what do we really need. I'm exactly. just on board with you. I think the fan edition is a very cool idea for phones. Um, I think OnePlus, I was seriously looking at all these OnePlus phones. I kind of miss the old OnePlus. I miss the days where... They were somehow getting these great parts at bargain basement prices and putting together amazing phones for three and four hundred dollars that were rivaling flagships. And I think yeah. you, you can't that was easy when the flagships were only seven to eight hundred dollars. Now the yeah. flagships are much higher. But you know, I miss that. I'm curious about what TCL is doing because I have a TCL TV and I love it, and they've exceeded my expectations there. So um, I'm kind of curious about that. But I think you know, I think my next Android phone, I mean, obviously I got to see what Samsung does. I've, I still recommend Samsung phones. My, I told my father to go out and buy a Samsung phone. Um, I told him to go buy an A71 and he came back with an A51. So, you know, he, <laughs> he don't listen. Um, but you know, I'm, I'd love to see what they're doing next, but I'm, I think OnePlus is also going to be one of the big companies to beat in the next year. Yeah, I hope they can rectify some of the weirdness of their of their direction this year. Yeah, and uh, I think I want to see low end, lower end, not low end, but I want to see OnePlus phones that at at the N10 and N100 price points. But knowing that their sister company Realme at BBK is doing a better job than they are at that price point yep. tells me that. OnePlus has lost the plot in that direction. So yeah. they should maybe stick with what they're doing best, which is 500 and up. Like the Nord is an example of exactly what they should be doing. Yes. The Nord was probably the best phone OnePlus did all year. Uh, yeah, you know? that's that's what I heard. Yeah. I haven't seen it in person, yeah. but that's definitely the impression well, I got. Well, problem is it doesn't work on the US on 5G, right. so it's kind of moot. Phil, tell folks where they can find you on the internet, your various social handles, any any place you're writing and stuff. Yeah, uh, find me on Twitter. I'm Philip Byrne on Twitter, and I'm sure Miriam will post a link to that. But I think that's the that's the best place to find me at the moment. I'm kind of getting myself around all over the place, but that's where I kind of post my, my best opinions. <laughs> yes, folks, you should follow Phil on Twitter. And of course, you know where to find me on Twitter. I'm at Tankerl, that's T-N-K-G-R-L, both on Twitter and Instagram. That's like Tankerl, the comic book character without the vowels. So drop the vowels and you'll get my handle. Twitter is where you want to go to comment on the podcast. You want to tell me what you think. You want to discuss the podcast with me. That's the way to go. 
And Instagram is where you'll find pretty pictures taken with phones and pretty pictures of phones. Basically, I like to document my devices across my desk on Instagram. Also, there is a couple of YouTube channels you should subscribe to. YouTube.com slash Mobile Tech Podcast is the main channel. That's where you'll find basically visual content to complement the podcast, unboxing videos, hands-ons, that kind of stuff. Check it out, subscribe, like, tell your friends, all that good stuff. And we have a new channel now called Mobile Tech More. That's YouTube.com slash Mobile Tech More. That's where you'll find basically additional content, all the devices that don't really fit neatly on the main channel. So uh, subscribe to that, please. We just uh, created that channel. It's pretty new. We can use a subscriber. Like, subscribe, tell your friends, all that good stuff, of course. And if you're new to the podcast and you want to subscribe, we have a link for you. MobileTechPodcast.com is the URL for the show. There's also an RSS feed there. And of course, we're on all the major podcast platforms. That's Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, just to name some of them and if your podcast app supports it please consider rating the show or reviewing the show it really helps for discovery for people who kind of find us by accident so please consider reviewing or rating the show i really appreciate it also there is a donate link in the show notes so if you can help by making a donation please do that would really be helpful and welcome so that i can continue doing the show on a weekly basis yeah thanks for that and then i also of course want to thank our sponsor, Audible. Audible is a fantastic platform for audiobooks. If you like to read as much as I do, you know, you should really check it out if you haven't already joined because it is a phenomenal platform. If you like to have books read to you instead of reading them with your own eyes, it's really the place to go. We have a special deal, 30-day free trial. You get to keep a book at the end. It's pretty cool. So consider helping Audible at the same time helping the podcast. AudibleTrial.com slash mobile tech is URL. That's AudibleTrial.com slash mobile tech. If you click through, you help the show no matter what you do, whether you stay or not with Audible. So consider that. And, you know, if you're wondering, like, what do I get out of this? Well, Audible is really like the platform for audiobooks. It's the place to be if you want books read to you. They have an incredible selection. Their authors often read the books, which is pretty great. And it's like always an epic experience too, you know. You get to listen to these books for 10 hours at a time or something. You can break it up into pieces, just like reading a real book. It's really a wonderful experience. If you're driving a lot, that's another really good reason to have Audible. So please consider clicking through and helping the show and helping Audible, audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. And finally, I want to thank Phil for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And folks, we'll have another show in 2021, of course. <laughs> so stay tuned for that. Until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.